Good evening. You can open with me in your Bibles to the book of Ezra, where we are in chapter 5. Ezra 5. Actually, we're in Ezra 4.24. The last verse of chapter 4 leads us into chapter 5. Let's open in a word of prayer. O Lord, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for our time of worship and contemplation, meditation on your love for us, and now to just meditate on your word, to consider the things that you have communicated by your Holy Spirit through prophets and historians and apostles and all those that you have ordained to bring your word to our hearts. And we pray that you would bring your word not only into our hearts, but through our hearts and into the world. Give us hearts to serve you, Lord. May your word be retained in our minds. May we be encouraged this evening to persevere. Lord, we know it's difficult and there are challenges when you call us to do a work, but Lord, may we persevere. And may we do this to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in chapter 4 and verse 24, we break from what we talked about last week, which was sort of a survey of all of the opposition that the Jewish captives experienced after returning to the land of Israel, the area known as Judah at that time, Judea today. Uh, We saw that there was a great deal of opposition over many decades, many, many years. But now we get back to this issue of the temple, because we're going to pick it up now where we were going back in the earlier part of uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And in that section, we see that the people of Israel, the, the Levites, the priests, Ezra was not around just yet, but he's recording all of this for us. But Joshua and Zerubbabel were. And they were leading a group of captives that they had led from Babylon back into Judea. And in this, the land of Judah, they are attempting to rebuild their way of life. And they start by rebuilding the brazen altar, which they've built. And they have built and laid down the foundation of the new temple, the rebuilt temple. But that's about as far as they got, because there, were, there was a great deal of opposition, as we saw last week. Here, though, the enemies of the Jews tried to discourage them from rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And we're going to see in this whole section that the people of Israel, they were opposed by their enemies during the reign of Darius Histispis. We talked about him last week. Uh, He came into power, and we'll talk about in a minute some of the kings that preceded him. But when he did, there was some confusion about whether or not the Jews should be rebuilding their temple. We're going to see in tonight's study, it all got straightened out, but there was a, a degree of questioning on the part of the people that lived in the area of Judah at that time, specifically and especially the Samaritans, as to whether or not the Jews really have the right to rebuild their temple at this time. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like today when you go to Israel, uh, the Jews want to rebuild their temple and those people in that area that are not Jews very much don't want them to rebuild their temple. In fact, they built a mosque and the Dome of the Rock there on the area known as the Temple Mount, uh, to try to make it difficult, if not impossible, to rebuild their temple. But that's today. Let's look backward a little bit and realize that what it says here in verse 24 is, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. 
So there was a great deal of time where nothing was getting done, and this was a problem. And God had a solution to this problem. But the enemies of the Jews, they were just trying to discourage them from rebuilding. Now, we see when we go back to last week's study in the earlier part of chapter 4, they tried to weaken the resolve of God's people to obey his will. They wanted to discourage them from doing God's work. They wanted the Jews to fear for their lives instead of trusting that God would protect them. And they tried to oppose God's people in their service to him. The enemy will oftentimes do that. They hired counselors to observe the Jews and work against them. That is spies, really. They wanted to frustrate their plans to rebuild this temple. And so as a result of this, the Jews struggled to rebuild their temple for the next 22, 21 to 22 years. It was a long slog. It was a difficult time in their history. They had laid the foundation of the temple within two years of their return in 536 BC. And then Cyrus, who had issued this edict to allow them to return, was fatally wounded in battle and then succeeded by his son, Cambyses II. That took place uh, six years later in 530 BC. When Cambyses II was succeeded by one of his royal officers, Darius Histispes, in 522, things started to get difficult as the enemies took advantage of a transition in power. So the Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. And they succeeded, through politics and political interference, they succeeded in bringing the work to a standstill for 16 years, until 520 B.C. So they were very successful, and we talked a lot about this last week. It's kind of a recap. So without the enemy's constant opposition, it would have been completed much sooner. Think about how many things would have been completed much sooner in your life without the enemy's constant opposition. It's amazing, and you know, God allows it. And sometimes I wonder, I say, God, why do you allow it? <laughs> why do you allow so much opposition? I mean, in our world, yes, in, in, our, in our culture, but even in our lives, it seems like you set out to do something good. Okay, so you sign up to teach in the Sunday school. So you get in your car and you got a flat tire. Or you, your car doesn't start. Or, you know, you have children and the kids are bouncing off the walls. All these things go wrong, and you start to think, why are all these things going wrong? And you realize, oh, I signed up to teach Sunday school. If you really want to find out about opposition in your life, volunteer to go on a missions trip. The minute you do, you're going to experience opposition. Pastor Joe, one time, he was, <laughs> Joe cracks me up. Uh, Joe called me on the phone, and he goes, hey, bro, how you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. How you doing? And he goes, oh, I just found out this was Joe's first trip to India. First trip he planned to India. Not his last, but his first. And uh, he goes, I just found out there are 300 million gods in India. And I think all of them are harassing me, you know. And he always says anytime he plans a trip to India or any country, but specifically and especially India, the bottom falls out. Everything just goes crazy. Opposition, opposition. So, When you stand up to do the work of God, you have to kind of bake this into the equation. You're going to be opposed. The enemy's not going to sit there and just allow you to serve the Lord in this way without opposition. You will be successful, ultimately, because what God has uh, ordained should be and what he has began, that faithful work will be completed in Jesus Christ. But it is oftentimes extremely challenging. The Samaritans succeeded to a degree in bringing the work to a standstill, for those 16 years. 
Now, the Jews have become discouraged, obviously. They were distracted by other things during that time. The prophet Haggai tells us that in chapter 1 of his book. But all of this was just God working through the people he called his own. Now, the Lord sent Zechariah and Haggai, two prophets who have books in your Bible, to encourage the Jews to continue to rebuild the temple. They needed encouragement because they were discouraged. Have you ever noticed that when you're discouraged, God will encourage you? Amen? Generally, what happens is if you're discouraged and you come to church, a couple of different ways God likes to work. There are. One, someone will come up to you and encourage you in fellowship. Or you hear the word of God and the word of God, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to encourage you. Or maybe during the worship, the words, the time of singing, the time of praise and surrender, you start to experience the presence of God. And you're encouraged. But I can tell you, if you you don't put yourself in a place of fellowship, worship, or the study of God's word, you're probably going to stay discouraged. So this is why it's so vitally important. People will say, oh, I was just so depressed I couldn't go to church. Or, oh, you know, things have been so tough. I've been so busy. I'm so stressed out. I just couldn't make it to church. And, you know, that's the enemy putting you in a position where you're not going to receive the encouragement you need because you're not where you need to be. And that's why in the book of Hebrews, the writer, the author says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves or some, a summer in the habit of doing. And all the more as you see the day approaching, that is the Lord's return. So you guys, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Wednesday night, you know, rainy Wednesday night, but you're here. And I pray, we all pray that we're encouraged through the time we spend together in worship and fellowship and in the word. But this is what happened here. God raised up prophets, men who would speak for him. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we read, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel and Yeshua, son of Yasadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. That's really awesome. God provided the help and the encouragement they need. You know, encouragement's great. Help is even better. You know, I always love to receive encouragement. But when someone says, you know, can I give you a hand? That's, that's more encouraging than someone just encouraging me. Uh, I've really got to tell you, that help, that assistance is very encouraging. And that's what the prophets did. God spoke to his people through his prophets. And then you see God's leader, Zerubbabel, he was the governor. God's high priest, Yeshua. Uh, and then God's prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, inspiring God's people to do God's will. All on the same page, working together. They finally started rebuilding the temple again after 16 long years of failure in 520 B.C. And this is a good thing, but it took God encouraging them to do so. And the temple was finally completed after four more years of faithful building in March of 515 B.C. But as this project was going on, we learn in verses 3 through 5 that the governor of the area of Trans-Euphrates, that was a region which basically included Judea, but also the areas around Israel. The governor of this area and his officials, they begin to question the authority of the Jews to rebuild the temple. Do you really have the right to do what you're doing? One of the things we've experienced over the last several years 
is an infringement upon our rights as Americans, because as Americans, we have rights. There are such a thing as human rights, but some countries don't recognize them. Our nation is supposed to and also supposed to recognize our religious rights, certain other rights to bear arms and free speech. But have you noticed, have you, have you felt it over the last couple of years that many, if not all, of those rights and others have been infringed upon? And, you know, sometimes the enemy works like that to discourage us by, oh, well, we don't really want them to say anything, so let's make it more difficult for them to speak up. Let's try to squelch that. Let's try to clamp down on what people might say. We'll just buy up all the tech companies and censor anybody who says anything we don't agree with, you know? We're seeing that in our world today, and it's sad, but have you also noticed that it's not working? Because God is so much greater than our enemies, amen? But the enemies at this time, the Samaritans and others, they begin an investigation. Oh, yeah, investigations are nothing new. Look at the investigation that's begun in verse 3. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shether Bozani and their associates went to them, that is the Jews, and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? They also asked, what are the names of the men constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his uh, his written reply uh, be received. So here you got a little investigation, some bureaucracy, some intimidation, uh, probably not begun by the governor of Trans-Euphrates, probably incited by their, the Jews' enemies in Samaria. They go to the governor and they complain. And this happens in our culture too. You have people that go and they complain. People shouldn't be allowed to pray in school. It's offensive. And so they go there and you have organizations like the ACLU, which are supposed to stand up for human rights, but actually infringe on our rights. And they go out there and they try to clamp down on things and, and they try to prevent us from worshiping or praying or, or sharing God's word. And, and if you notice, the enemy is probably the CEO of every one of those organizations. I mean, the, the goal of those organizations is to stop the work of God and to stop worship and praise and prayer. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that it's Satan at the helm. And the same thing was true here. The Samaritans were the ones behind the scenes, but the enemy was working through the Samaritans who were jealous of the Jews. And so they go to the governor of the Trans-Euphrates, and the government has no choice but to investigate this, and so they do. But I find it interesting. The enemy kept quiet while the Jews posed no threat. That is, during those 16 years when they weren't building, well, the enemy left them alone. And the enemy will leave you alone if you're not any threat to the kingdom of darkness. But stand up to be counted for God. Sign up to go on a missions trip. Get involved in service in your church. Come out to a Wednesday night service. And you're going to find out awfully quick, the enemy will oppose you. But he was all, the enemy was so quiet during those years when nothing was happening. But once the Jews started to faithfully serve and obey the Lord, the enemy attacked them. So I've heard many Christians say to me, you know, my life was great until I became a Christian. What they mean is they were never attacked. Well, yeah, you were serving Satan. Why would he attack you? Now you gave your life to Christ. Coming to church and all these terrible things happen. Most of of the people I've known over the years, especially young people, 
When they're in the world and they come to Christ, the first thing that happens is they get abandoned by their friends. Maybe their girlfriend or their boyfriend breaks up with them, right? People make fun of them. Their families call them crazy, fanatics. And it becomes a pretty alienated and isolated place. And it can be really discouraging. I think most of us have probably experienced that at some point. Maybe you didn't, but I did. And then you start to make new friends. And as you come to church more, God encourages you through the word and through fellowship and worship and praise. And, and, and it's okay. But in the beginning, you have to really step out in faith. Because it feels like the rug is pulled out from underneath you. And you lose everything that's important to you, or, or so you thought. If they really cared about you, those people would have supported you, or at least <laughs> tolerated you. But no, they cut you off. Listen, all I'm trying to say is that when you step up to serve God, expect opposition. Expect to go through some degree of challenges. And, and you are going to experience that. And, and let's say you're doing well, and then you decide, well, I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to get involved in ministry. Oh, boy. I'm going to go on a missions trip. You know, I'm, I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I actually want to serve the Lord with my life. Oh, boy. You can just expect it. One of the things in martial arts, I mean, we don't walk around thinking maybe some, you know, it's possible someone might try to hit me someday. That's not how we train. We, we prepare with, I'm going to get hit, so I better know what to do when I am. And you hope it never happens, but you prepare for the worst so that when it actually happens, all that training kicks in and you can block it. I think a lot of Christians need a little training like that. Maybe not in martial arts, but in, in spiritual warfare. You've got to read Ephesians 6 and realize you've got to suit up. There is a war going on, and you are going to get fired at. But some Christians are like, why? No, why? I'll tell you why. Because the devil hates your guts, and he's going to try to bring you down. And so here's what happened. The enemies of Israel took advantage of the opportunity. They wanted to get the building on the temple to stop again. And God ensured that the Jews were able to continue rebuilding the temple until the investigation was completed. And it's a good thing when there's a court case in the federal courts, you know, uh, the circuit or district courts, which make it up to the Supreme Court. Uh, Many times uh, the enemies of what's right will try to get a stay on the passing of a good law. You know, they want to just stop it as long as they can. Uh, they've given up on some of that because when things make it to the Supreme Court now, thank God, they, say, they seem to give us the right rulings, right? The ones that are just according to our laws and the Constitution. But having said that, understand that when they put a stay on a good law, then you've got to wait. Well, what they were hoping to do here was to keep them from building, but it didn't work. And I'm so encouraged to see that. It encourages me to know God is in control because... Until this investigation was completed, they were allowed to continue. So the eye of the Lord watches over those that faithfully obey him. You need to know that. You need to persevere. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he desires to show himself strong on the behalf of those that serve him. Now, this investigation must have given the authorities a reason not to stop the Jews just yet. As we'll see... As this case unfolds, there was some substantial evidence that they did have the right, but they needed to verify that. But the laws of the Medes and the Persians could not be repealed. And so, unlike our crazy culture where we have these executive orders that seem to hold the same weight as law, once they passed a law, the Medes and the Persians would not repeal it. It couldn't be changed. So they were concerned, obviously, oh, maybe they do have the right. We better not stop them because then we're violating the law. 
So they let it go until they could confirm whether or not they had the right. They gave them the benefit of the doubt, which was a good thing. Fortunately, government bureaucracy actually aided them in continuing their efforts. Seldom does it work out that way. But in this case, it did. The bureaucracy of government allowed them to continue to rebuild until the investigation was completed. But then the officials wrote a letter to Darius Histopis informing him that the Jews were rebuilding their temple. And this is what they said. Let's look at verses 6 through 17. Pretty self-explanatory. He basically includes the letter that was sent, written in the original language of Aramaic. This is a copy of the letter that the that Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shesher Bozanai and their associates, the officials of Trans-Euphrates, sent to King Darius. The report they sent to him read as follows. To King Darius, cordial greetings. The king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. The people are building it with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress under their direction. We questioned the elders and asked them, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? We also asked them their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the answer they gave us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king of Israel built and finished. Of course, that's Solomon. But because our fathers angered the God of heaven, he handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year, Cyrus, king of Babylon, of course, he's Cyrus, king of Persia, king of Babylon, king of Assyria. He's the king of the Persian Empire. But here they refer to the fact that he took over Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. He even removed from the temple of Babylon uh, the, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to the temple in Babylon. Then King Cyrus gave them to a man named Sheshbazar. Now, we believe Sheshbazar was either the relative of Zerubbabel or, in fact, another name, perhaps the Aramaic name or Babylonian name or Persian name for uh, this man we refer to most of the time um, as Zerubbabel. But the king gave them to a man named Sheshbazar, whom he had appointed governor. Of course, Zerubbabel was the governor, so that makes sense. But he told them, take these articles and go and deposit them in the temple of Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on its site. So this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. And from that day to the present, it has been under construction, but it is not yet finished. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did, in fact, issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. So you see, they were concerned that they actually did have the right. And if they had the right and they caused the building to cease or to stop, they would have been in violation of the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So there was significant evidence, or at least the suggestion, that they did have the right. So they waited, did an investigation, and we'll see what they found in just a minute. But here we see, they write this letter. And I don't really think the governor of Trans-Euphrates was necessarily out to get the Jews. I think it was prompted by their enemies, the Samaritans. But the officials testified the Jews were making significant progress. And when you make significant progress, the enemy ramps it up. He turns up the heat. 
You know, if you're kind of phoning it in, I mean, you, you, the enemy is not going to come at you the way he does when you're full on committed to God and to his work and to his will. You have to understand that. So the officials presented the results of uh, their investigation. They did a preliminary investigation, and they offered the testimony of the Jews, what the Jews had uh, put forward as their right to rebuild. They said they were now faithfully serving the Lord by rebuilding the temple and that they had been judged by God for angering him in the past. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. They, They didn't try to hide the truth of their failure. They embraced it as the prophets encouraged them to. The temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And as I said, we're talking about 520 B.C., between 520 and uh, 515. So it had been some time. And Cyrus had allowed them to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That's absolutely true. In fact, we know that he returned the gold and the silver articles stolen from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. We've already read that in the book of Ezra. And Cyrus had given these articles to Sheshbazar, and he appointed him governor. All of this is true. Everything checks out. Sheshbazar ensured these articles were delivered safely from Babylon to Jerusalem, and he led their return back to their homeland in 538 B.C. So everything they found out is the truth. They laid the foundation of the temple within two years, as we've said, and they had been unfaithful to the Lord as the temple had been unfinished. So They didn't lie. They didn't try to make the truth look more palatable or try to manipulate or spin it. They just said, this is what happened, but we have the right to rebuild. So the officials requested a royal inquiry to confirm the results of the investigation. And as I said, if this law turned out to be true, if this edict was true, which of course it was, uh, it could not be repealed. Now, as we get to chapter 6, a little bit more of the history, and this is a book of history, we get to the completion and the dedication of the temple. So it, it did work out, but things will work out. That doesn't mean they're going to be easy. You understand that? <clears throat> I think a lot of people get involved in ministry, and they think it's going to be smooth sailing. There are times, probably every day, at least once, when someone's serving the Lord where they want to quit. I mean, things happen, and you think to yourself, Oh my goodness, this is too hard. This is too challenging. You know, most people won't admit that, but you know, you get aggravated, things are difficult, and you realize it's just not easy. Now, Jesus said, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it is, if you give it to him. His yoke, his burden. But when you try to carry that, it's not difficult, it's impossible. And that's why you have to be in a situation where you're constantly trusting God. And when you get to a place where you receive opposition to do the work of the Lord, you have to stop and say, Lord, this isn't my work. This is your work. I'm your servant. This is your problem, not mine. In prayer, you lay it out and you say, God, get involved. And you know what's great? He does. But you try to carry that on your back. You ever see a little kid try to pick up something that's too heavy? Uh, we were on vacation one time down in Puerto Rico, and my little niece, this is many years ago now, because she's 20-something, but she was probably two. And she saw my wife picking up those little handheld weights and picking them up and putting them over her head and putting them down, right? So what does she do? She picks them up, and as soon as she gets them over her head, she just falls backwards. <laughs> Boom. Because she couldn't do it. 
And I think of that, what I, it was cute, it was, it was funny, it was cute, but she just didn't realize how heavy it was until she got it to a place where it threw her balance off. And there are many Christians who pick up the work of God and try to put it over their heads in their own strength, and they fall backwards. Why? Because you're not supposed to carry that weight. What you're supposed to do is obey God and let God do the work. Where God guides, he provides. God gives you the strength you need to do the work he's called you to do. If you need to lift 500 pounds, he'll give you the strength. But so many people take that upon themselves and they wonder why they end up on their backs. Well, I have to hand it to the Jews because they went to God. And they had the prophets to encourage them. They had good leaders. They had a good priest, a good governor. Prophets encouraging them. The people were all working together. And they completed the temple, but there was opposition, and they had to pray their way through it. But the people were determined to rebuild the temple, and God was faithful to his people Israel. Let's read in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. It says, King Darius then issued an order, and they searched in the archives, stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ectabana, uh, excuse me, Ekbatana, in the province of Media, and this was written on it, memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also the gold and silver silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought back to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. Now, I'm really glad they did that investigation because now they actually found out they had more help than they realized, perhaps. They were actually more supported by Persia than their enemies realized. And all their enemies accomplished was to get them more support. You see, when the enemy attacks you, he's not just attacking you, he's attacking God, and he'll lose every time. An attack, I I hate to keep going back, well, I don't actually hate to keep going back to martial arts, but basically the truth of what you do when you're attacked is you parry, you, you redirect. And so many times when the enemy attacks us, you know, God just redirects, and all the energy and hatred that our enemies have for us ends up serving us. It works for us, not against us. And I want you to understand that. So the more they attack us, we just redirect in prayer. We just allow God to move in such a way that he receives all the glory and the work gets done. But it's through his strength and his power. And that's what was happening here. The king of Persia had allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, as we said, in 538 B.C. And this man, Darius, who's now in power, he ordered a royal inquiry to confirm the results of the investigation of the Jews. He just said, well, if what the Jews are saying is true, then fine, let's find out. Now, one of the things I find interesting is ancient Babylon and Persia kept excellent records. It's amazing in today's day and age that we could be missing 33 million or whatever it is, 33,000 emails, Um, why is it that some records just disappear, right? In our, in our, well, I'll tell you why, you know why, right? We make them disappear. But in ancient Babylon 
And in ancient Persia, they kept such excellent records that a document from 18 years prior was found in the Median capital. You've got to give them credit. I was looking for, for some receipts the other day, and I keep a lot of my records, but I just decided it wasn't worth the two hours it was going to take to find it. But I'll tell you what, keeping good records, they did that. And the city of Ecbatana was a city that was captured by Cyrus 30 years earlier in 550 BC. So a document from 18 years prior found. And it ultimately became uh, this, this place, the summer residence of the Persian king. So it was a capital city, and they had good documentation stored there, and they found the document. And this is a portion of the original Edict of Cyrus, I believe was probably drafted by Daniel himself. But he commanded in this edict, Cyrus commanded that the Lord's temple be rebuilt, the sacrificial system be reinstituted, and it directed uh, the, the basic design, if you saw that, of the temple, and it proved payment of the necessary expenses. This was a good document to find at just the right time. And he approved the return of the gold and silver articles, which of course were stolen from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, but returned by Cyrus. And then Darius, king of Persia, allowed the Jews to continue to rebuild their temple. So the good news here is as the enemy attacks, God is always victorious. You just need to let God win the battle and stop trying to fight it yourself. I do as well. Look at verses 6 through 12. In verses 6 through 12, in chapter 6, we read, now then, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shisharbozani, uh, and you, their fellow officials of that province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I hereby decree that what you are to do for these elders, uh, what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. The expenses of these men are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates. So now they have to pay for it. Never, never a fun experience when you get handed the bill, right? So that the work will not stop whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs, for burnt offerings to the God of heaven and wheat, salt, wine, and oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to God, uh, the God of heaven, and notice this, and pray for the well-being of the king. He's the king. And his sons. Interesting. Span obviously believed in prayer. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone changes this edict, a beam is to be pulled from his house, and he is to be lifted up and impaled on it. And for this crime, his house is to be made a pile of rubble. They still do that today to terrorists in the Middle East. They, they destroy their homes. Uh, may God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change his decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. I just wish we had a photograph of their faces when they received this letter. Can you imagine? Especially when the Samaritans had it read to them. They probably were thinking, we probably should have left well enough alone. I think our enemies in our culture today are starting to understand something. They probably shouldn't have pushed it so far. Because the things that they've pushed in our schools, in our culture, in our government, 
with this pandemic were so outrageous that I believe, and we'll see if I'm right, there's going to be a payback over the next two years, and it's going to begin next month in the midterm election. But you know what? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But even if it doesn't happen, don't worry. God is still in control. Amen? You need to know that our hope isn't in the election, but, you know, God oftentimes works through these things, and I believe he will, but we'll see. The important thing to know is that God is in control. And so what we learned here is that they were not to interfere with the rebuilding of the temple. They no longer had any jurisdiction over the Temple Mount. And Zerubbabel was recognized as the governor of the Jews in Jerusalem. So the Lord used Darius, a Persian king, to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. Now you're going to see there were several prophecies that were fulfilled, but God used pagan kings to fulfill them. Why do I say that? Because I believe God can use ungodly men and women to fulfill his will. That doesn't make them godly, but it does mean God is in control. Are you with me? I think we're going to see some of this soon in our, in our nation, in our culture. But let's say this. If you look at Zechariah, there was a prophecy that was given by Zechariah, and Darius was used to fulfill it. The prophecy was this. We read it recently. Zechariah said, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, almighty mountain, before Zerubbabel, who will become level ground? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So, you see, God used Darius to fulfill that prophecy. And then Darius ordered the governor and his officials to support the rebuilding of the temple. And so the trans-Euphrates officials were to pay the costs of construction. They were to faithfully provide for the daily temple sacrifices, which could be very costly. And they were to allow the Jews to build their temple so that they could pray. And Darius coveted the prayers of these Jews for himself and for his sons, for his family. Let them build the temple. I want them to pray because they're going to pray for me. Have you ever met someone who isn't a Christian but has enough respect for God that when they have a need, they'll come to you and say, you, you, you have a relationship with God, right? You're a Christian, right? You're one of those born-agains. Would you pray for me? I've experienced things like that. I'm not saying the person was even necessarily saved as a Christian. They may not have even had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they understand that God answers prayer. Amen? Well, Darius did. And notice then the Lord used Darius to fulfill a prophecy from Isaiah. And another prophet had issued a prophecy, and this prophecy was from God through Isaiah. He said, who says of Cyrus... Uh, He is my shepherd. I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and the temple, let its foundation be laid. Now, that edict came through Cyrus, and the name of Cyrus was predicted, prophesied 150 years beforehand. But he used Darius to fulfill it because he okayed the rebuilding. And then Darius ordered the governor and his officials to punish anyone that opposed the rebuilding of the temple. Anyone that did interfere would be killed, and his family made destitute and homeless. Now, Darius actually asks the living God to guard and protect the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. Look at verses 11 and 12. 
I decree, he says, he mentions the crime, and then he says, may God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change his decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. He actually asks God, the living God, to guard and protect the rebuilding of the temple. Let me ask you, was God in control? Is God in control? He is. The Lord used Darius to fulfill the purposes of God that were laid out by the prophet Haggai. And I'll read them for you. Just a couple of fulfilled prophecies here. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, or Jeshua, uh, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, and on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So all of these prophecies were coming in. All these prophets were speaking. And guess what? God used a pagan king to fulfill them. Darius. We're going to see that's not the end of it either. Finally, we get to the last section this evening. And we see the people of Israel completed the temple. This, this is a, the finish line. It's a, it's a great section of scripture. Look at verses 13 through 15 in chapter 6. We read then, because of the decree of King Darius, because, the, of, the king, uh, because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Sheser, Bozani, and their associates carried it out with diligence. What choice did they have, right? So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of, of the God of Israel and the decrees of, now he mentioned Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. And I'll explain why Artaxerxes is mentioned here, even though he was not yet king. But it says kings of Persia, all three of them are mentioned. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. We know exactly when it was completed and how long it took. See, the people were determined to rebuild the temple, and the governor and his officials ensured that the Jews would rebuild the temple without opposition. God was in control. And the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, ensured the Jews would continue to rebuild the temple. And the kings of Persia ensured that the Jews would complete the temple according to God's purpose. Everything was working for them, not against them. Do you understand that? That God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He does, and he is, even today. The Lord used all three of these kings that are mentioned to restore and rebuild the, uh, the city of Jerusalem in some way. Now, the foundation of the temple was laid in 536 B.C. during the reign of Cyrus. The temple was completed, as I've said already, in 515 B.C. during the reign of Darius. But the city was actually rebuilt. We haven't gotten there yet. But remember, Ezra's writing history uh, retrospectively, and he includes Artaxerxes here, even though that hasn't happened yet. The city was rebuilt in 444 B.C. during the reign of Artaxerxes, and of course Ezra and Nehemiah were involved in that. So Ezra, writing this history, includes the name of Artaxerxes, uh, when he compiled this history. Now he became, Artaxerxes became king in 465 BC. It's about 50 years after the temple had been rebuilt. Ezra more than likely included his name here to acknowledge his strong support of the Jews. 
So there was another king, Xerxes, that came in between Darius and Artaxerxes. But he mentions Artaxerxes. He had issued a decree for Ezra to return to Jerusalem to bring religious reforms. We won't get that till next, next week. And he had issued a decree for Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. We won't get that until we get to Nehemiah chapter 2, but it's still true. He was the son of King Xerxes, and maybe you know King Xerxes because he was married to guess who? Queen Esther. Some people think that Artaxerxes Longinimus was actually the son of Esther. We really don't know. But wouldn't that have been an interesting thing had that been the case? Well, the Lord used Artaxerxes to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel. And Daniel told us in his writings, and we studied it recently on Sunday mornings, and again, this is going ahead a little bit, um, but in the book of Daniel, in chapter 9 and verse 25, we read, Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that was in 444 B.C., until the anointed one, that's Jesus Christ, the ruler comes, there will be, and it mentions 70 sevens, there are seven sevens and 62 sevens, uh, it will be rebuilt, that is, the city will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And that's exactly what happened. And we'll talk more about that in future studies. Now, closing this thing out this evening, the temple, as we've said, was finally completed after four more years of faithful building in March 515 B.C. I keep repeating these dates. Some of it will stick. You know, it's like spaghetti. We throw a lot at you. Some of it sticks. Some of it falls on the floor. But hopefully you get an understanding of the basic history. This is a historical book, so I'm trying to help you with that a little bit. But as we get into verse 16, we see that then the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, uh, they offered... Did I get ahead of myself? No, that's where I was. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what is written in the book of Moses. And so... The people dedicated the rebuilt temple. It was a time of celebration. The Jews rejoiced, just as Zechariah said they would, right? You'll rejoice, you'll rejoice. Not by my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. They will rejoice when Zubrabel has that plumb line. They're going to rejoice. Well, guess what? They rejoice. And the Jews worship, but they worship not as the two tribes of Judah, as the 12 tribes of Israel, because there were those among the Jews from all of the tribes living in Judah at this time including the ten northern tribes. They installed the priests, the Levites, to serve in the temple now that it was rebuilt, and they worshiped the Lord according to his word. Finally, we'll just read the last section here, and then we'll close. On the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, For their brothers, the priests, and for themselves. And so the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it together with all those that had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria. Again, 
That's another reference to Darius, who is also the king of Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Uh, So that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. So the people celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they do every year. And by the way, Ezra 6.19 through 7.11, we will get there next week, is once again written in Hebrew. So it switches back and forth between Aramaic and Hebrew. They're celebrating the commemoration of their deliverance out of Egypt through the Passover, and they're celebrating their deliverance from the Assyrian occupation and opposition. And Darius was the king of Persia, Babylon, and Assyria. They have nothing except songs of joy to sing. Because Darius had ordered the governor of Trans-Euphrates and his officials to assist them. And now they're celebrating not only the feasts, but that they recently rebuilt their temple in Jerusalem. I look forward to times of celebration in our culture and in our nation. But there have been some to celebrate, including the recent reversal of that ridiculous law, Roe versus Wade. Uh, There have been things that have happened recently that have been good. I think we can hope to see more. But even if we don't, put your trust in God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we know, we know that we know that you love us and that you're working all things together for our good. So we come to you by faith and we ask for you to continue to work on our behalf, despite our lack of faith at times and our despair and our discouragement. Raise up Haggai's and Zechariah's to encourage us Far too many pastors are doing nothing like that. They're just discouraging everybody and talking about the end of the world. Lord, I don't, I don't really believe that's your heart. I think you want to encourage us. Not sit around waiting for terrible things to happen, like nuclear annihilation. I just don't think that's your spirit or your heart. I, th- I think you want us to be encouraged. So encourage us, Lord. And we might continue to share your word with those that don't know it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.